0: St Albans is a constituency which has returned a Conservative MP in each election since 2005. The constituency covers an area from the city of St Albans in the north to the borders of Radlett in the south, and from close to the A41 and Hemel-Hempstead in the west to the borders of Hatfield in the east. In total, there are roughly 74,000 electors in the constituency and turnout has been between 70 and 78 per cent in general elections a high turnout by comparison with that nationally. In the 2016 referendum on the European Union, 67% of those voting expressed a wish to remain. The constituency has a median house price of £335,000 and lower than average unemployment at around 2%. The median income is 29% higher than in the UK as a whole and 6,400 businesses call the St Albans constituency their home. The Conservative majority at the last election was 6,109, down from 12,700 in 2015, with the Liberal Democrats taking second place from Labour. With us now is the Liberal Democrat candidate for St Albans constituency, Daisy Cooper. Daisy lives in the heart of St Albans and is a daily commuter on Thameslink. She previously worked as campaign director of More United and has also worked in international affairs for ten years Campaigning for LGBT plus rights abroad and against human rights violations in Sri Lanka and Zimbabwe, and also in press reform. Daisy also plays violin and piano. Daisy Cooper, welcome. Thank you. Now, Daisy, tell us a little bit about your connection to the area.
1: Uh, well, I live in St Albans uh, and uh, I'm the only major party candidate standing in this general election who does actually live in the constituency. Um, I've lived here for three years, but I've got a connection going back much further than that. Um, my cousin lived in St Albans for around 15 years. Um, this was at a time when I was living in North London and I used to sort of hop on the train and come up and see her quite regularly. So I have to admit that during my 20s I was more familiar with the nightlife than I was with the day life. <laughs> but um, uh, having moved here, Um, uh, I feel very much at home and very much part of the community.
0: What do you think of the big local issues here?
1: Ah, well, um, I think the big local issues have a huge overlap with the big national issues. Um, When I go out and knock on doors, Brexit is the number one issue that people raise and I think it's because, it, you know, we've three years on, it is really affecting people's lives. So, you know, there are people who commute into London who have seen jobs and money leave the city. There are local small family businesses, uh, local family firms who are feeling the squeeze as people, the uncertainty of the economy means that people aren't spending money so much. And we've got a lot of EU citizens in St Albans who are really, really anxious um, about their future and whether they'll be able to stay uh, in the UK. Um, So I think Brexit is the number one issue but there are lots of other issues as well. So uh, you will have seen recently that a number of our school schoolchildren uh, took part in the, uh, the global climate strike, uh, stood outside the clock tower. Um, and that's because people are genuinely worried about the impact of climate change, both here in St Albans uh, and uh, nationally and internationally as well. And then we have the NHS and schools, and there's been a long-standing campaign for the last couple of years, particularly around schools funding, um, and one of the things that I think is absolutely shocking is that out of the uh, 44 primary and secondary schools that we have here in the St Albans constituency, 41 of them have a schools funding uh, deficit, and they, they are, uh, they're, they're short of money. Um, they have a shortfall for, for the next financial year. Um, the cuts since 2015 have resulted to um, uh, 80 teachers. That's the, uh, that's the equivalent. So the cuts since 2015 have been equal to the salaries of 80 teachers just here in St Albans, and I think parents have, have had enough.
0: But, but uplift in funding is coming, isn't it, anyway?
1: Well, there is some more funding promised by the Conservative government, but it's simply not enough. Um, And the National Education Union have said that, as I say, even with some extra funding that the Conservatives are promising, it simply isn't enough. What we've said as Liberal Democrats is that we would reverse the cuts back to 2015 levels, which is precisely what the National Education Union is asking us to do. So we'd make sure that we reverse those cuts, invest in our schools and let teachers teach.
0: Now what about hospitals here where do you stand on the whole question of investing in Watford General and St Albans or building a new hospital
1: Well I mean I think everybody I can see the I can see the appeal of the idea of a new hospital and I think you know um if that was on the cards then great but the fact is it isn't the current conservative government was absolutely clear that if we turned down the offer of some money 350 million now recently put up to 400 million and um, if we over, if we overlooked that and turn that money down then no more money would be forthcoming and the cost of a new hospital would be twice as much so there simply isn't enough money there to build a new hospital
0: whoever's in power
1: um, well, at the moment, uh, I mean, I, I think I'd have to sort of go back and look at the books. But at the moment, it looks very much like there isn't that additional money to start building hospitals. And quite honestly, there are other more important investments that we need to do. So we do need to upgrade uh, Watford and St Albans. Um, I wish that there was real money coming to do that. The Conservatives pledged money, but actually it isn't new cash. It's a loan. It's a loan from central government that our trust will have to pay back by making savings in their day to day budget. We, um, Liberal Democrats have a very clear policy on the NHS. If we want to protect the NHS, we have to be honest with the public about how we're going to fund it. We have said that we would increase uh, tax by one p in the pound for income tax. We would ring fence that money. Half of it would go towards funding the NHS. The other half would go towards supporting social care and mental health in particular.
0: That one penny on tax, that's for everybody, right? Right.
1: Uh, it is for everybody, but it would be staggered depending on your income. So those who earn less than £10,000 would pay nothing at all. Those who earn a bit more than 10000 would pay a small amount. Then the higher you are up the pay scale, the more you would contribute. So
0: it's not a penny on everybody's tax. It's more than a penny on tax of people who earn, let's say, £80,000 and less for further down. So not dissimilar to the kind of uh, policies of the Labour Party in terms of raising tax from, from higher earners.
1: Uh, no, I wouldn't say that's right. I mean, w- our policy is very specific about how much we would raise. Uh, we said it would raise six billion uh, a year, so that's about thirty-five to thirty-six billion over a five, about thirty-five point two billion over a five-year parliament. And we've also said how we're going to raise it, and also that we're going to ring fence it, and how we're going to spend it. So we have a fully costed plan about how we're going to do this, and it would be ring fenced specifically for NHS, social care, and mental
0: health. And what about all the rest of your spending plans then? If that one penny on tax is going on just the NHS and social care. Where's everything else coming from? Your 300,000 new homes, your 60 million trees. You've got big ambitions. Where's that money going to come from?
1: Well, we do have big ambitions, and I'm glad that's been recognised because we're incredibly proud of the bold, uh, ambitious agenda for the future that we've got in our manifesto. And the manifesto will be released on Wednesday. Um, so um, before it's released, uh, you know, all the sums aren't, aren't available to look at just yet. But every single manifesto that the Liberal Democrats produce is fully costed, and Where possible, we do indicate, like I say with the NHS um, funding plan, uh, where money is going to come from and how it's going to be spent.
0: The other two major parties both seem keen on borrowing. Are you?
1: Yes, we want We want to borrow. We would like to borrow to invest, um, but that's not sufficient. One of the problems we have with Brexit at the moment is one: it's raising the cost, um, raising the cost of borrowing. That's one big problem we have. But secondly, uh, we've got to have the workforce there. Um, and if we leave the EU, uh, both our economy will be hit in terms of GDP, uh, and also we will potentially not have the um, the person power to do to uh, deliver all the infrastructure plans that we need. So if we can stop Brexit, we will have what we call a Remain bonus. So by Staying in the EU, our economy will continue to grow and we will save 50 billion over the or make uh, 50 billion over the next five years, which we can invest in tackling inequality and welfare.
0: But that's 50 billion as opposed to what you think is going to happen. So it's not 50 billion as opposed to today, is it?
1: Well, any kind of forecast for the future is, I say, a forecast. So every single political party will look at a forecast for the next four to five years and develop spending plans based on what GDP is going to look like. And what's very clear is that if we stay in the EU, then GDP and growth goes up. And if we leave the EU in any way at all, uh, on whatever deal we leave or without a deal, it makes us poorer.
0: What would you say to people in the constituency who want us to leave the European Union, presumably don't vote for you because you're going to revoke Article 50?
1: Well, to be honest, there are a lot of people I've spoken to who voted leave a few years ago. But quite frankly, three years on and after three prime ministers, we can all see that it's a mess. Um, and there are things that all of us can now see that we had never anticipated. I don't think any of us had anticipated that Parliament would have the oxygen sucked out of it completely. We hadn't anticipated that Parliament would be unable to tackle any other issue at all. There's been legislation on hardly any other subjects. Um, and I think all of us have, have really regret the amount of division and uh, toxic um, public language that has been used. Now, I think a lot of people...
0: The Liberal Party could have avoided all of that, couldn't you? The Lib Dems could have said, actually, it is the will of the people. Let's just get on with it and vote in favour of of an agreement to leave. You could have voted in favour of Theresa May's agreement, for example. You could have avoided all of that.
1: No, I don't think that's right. The fact is that after the country voted to leave, Liberal Democrats, like other parties, voted to trigger Article 50, and Theresa May had a mandate to go and negotiate a deal. But when she brought her deal back, and now when you look at Boris Johnson's deal, um, these deals do not live up to the promises that were made three years ago. Some of those promises have been exposed as lies. Other of the promises have been, um, have been found out to be undeliverable. And I think it's absolutely right that the people have a say one way or another. Now, we were leaders uh, in terms of calling for a peoples vote we said this started with the people it should end with the people once there is a specific deal on the table let people have a say on it but we couldn't get enough support in parliament and now that we have a general election we're very clear that we're remainers we think we're better off in the eu and the only way to stop brexit is to vote for the liberal democrats with a majority liberal democrat we would revoke article 50 on day one and in all other circumstances we will continue our campaign to call for a people's vote
0: So there's nothing wrong with the European Union. Basically, it can carry on as it is. We don't need to worry about people's concerns about migration. We're fine with it, are we?
1: That's not what we're saying. The EU is an amazing idea. It has brought peace to uh, our continent for 40 years. Um, uh, Sorry, longer than that. (laughs) Uh, It's brought peace to our continent uh, for decades. Um, It gives us the opportunity... To live, to travel, to work, to, to love, to retire in 28 different countries. But are you fine the with this har- as it the harmonization, is? The I harmonisation that we've got to sell the benefits of this, the harmonisation of rules means that small businesses in the UK can export to 500 million people. The EU institutions have problems, but every institution has problems. The NHS has problems, but we're not going to throw it under the bus. But the way to fix an institution is to show leadership. It's to stay in the EU, it's to use our position as a leader, um, it's to shrug off this it's national humiliation that has come with Brexit and it's position ourselves as leaders in the world.
0: But you had your chance to sell the benefits of the European Union and people turned their back on it. The majority of people in this country didn't want us to stay in the European Union. Why, you know, why do you set out by representing less than half the people?
1: Well, I very much regret that actually the case for Remain was made by David Cameron. And I think David Cameron ran an incredibly lacklustre campaign uh, during the referendum. And I think many of us deeply regret just... Um, How flat it was, Uh, he talked about the EU in terms of economics, but without any kind of passion for the opportunities that it gives people, in terms of the peace that it's brought, in terms of the position it gives us on the world stage, he did not provide a compelling, passionate case. Um, We deeply, deeply regret that we didn't win that referendum, but we believe that we're better off in the EU, the government's own analysis shows that we're better off in the EU. Nobody knew that we would be in such a mess three years on. We think it's absolutely right that people should have a say and the general election's a chance for them to say that. And if they want to stay in the EU, they should vote for us.
0: Let's move on from that topic then. 300,000 new homes by 2024, 300,000 new homes a year by 2024, but only tens of thousands of them being zero carbon. Why?
1: Ah, well, we've said 100,000 social homes in the first instance because that's really, really important. Can they not be zero carbon? We will make sure that homes would be zero carbon. So the issue that we have is that um, you know many homes for decades now have been built um, without actually being fit to tackle the climate emergency. So there are people, including in new, newly built homes, that actually have to choose between heating their homes, possibly eating as well. These homes are simply not fit for purpose. And the emissions from homes in the UK accounts for about 15% of our national emissions so we do really really need to tackle that and make sure that our homes are zero carbon
0: I was just wondering really why you weren't committing to all of those 300,000 new homes being zero carbon um
1: well as I say the manifesto hasn't been published yet so I haven't seen the uh, I haven't seen any detail that suggests that it wouldn't that they wouldn't be zero carbon what we can what we have said is that we want um Zero carbon Britain by 2045, which is the date that's been endorsed by WWF and uh, by Friends of the Earth. Um, We need to start by making sure that we have renewable energy. We have dates in mind for that. Um, And we do need to have a massive programme of retrofitting um, housing so it all becomes zero carbon, starting with those who are fuel poor.
0: Explain to us what you mean by renewable energy. What counts as a renewable energy source?
1: Oh, uh, well, wind, uh, solar, uh, tidal, all of these sources. Nuclear? Uh, Well, Nuclear is uh, carbon zero, but it's not a renewable. So no, nuclear is not included in that renewable energy.
0: Okay, and how is that going to be sustainable, given that the wind doesn't blow all the time, the sun doesn't shine all the time? Sadly, we're in the UK. Mm -hmm. Um, How is that possible? Uh, Because at the moment, balancing the load across the grid is a really difficult thing, even now, as we saw with the power cuts triggered by a very small wind farm issue. Uh, So so how are you planning to address that?
1: Well, we said that we want 80% of our, of our energy to be from renewables by 2030. I think that's a really ambitious target. Um, to be honest, I really, really wish that we could move away from nuclear, and I think we should as soon as possible. Um, but in order to keep the mix going at the moment, reluctantly, we're going to have to keep nuclear part of the mix for now. Um, but certainly, in terms of direction of travel, I would like to see us moving away from nuclear as soon as soon as soon as possible.
0: So now you, the, the voting system in this country means that probably you need to get a share of votes sort of 25 to 30 percent before you get any meaningful number of seats, probably. Um, so at the moment, you're on around 16 percent, at least, according to the polls. So isn't a Lib Dem vote really a wasted vote because you're not going to form the next government, are you?
1: Absolutely not. You know what, this is uh, the most unpredictable uh, election we've had in the UK for a very long time. I think all of the commentators are saying that. Uh, there are various statistics showing that I think between sort of 30 and 40% of people have changed their vote uh, in the last couple of general elections. Um, we do have a, an awful voting system in this country, first past the post. I think it's deeply unfair. Um, but our votes will be higher in some areas than in others. So you're looking obviously at the uh, percentage for the nation as a whole. Um, but because of our fo- first past the post system. We, like every other political party, will be targeting our efforts on a certain particular number of constituencies, hoping that we'll be able to win those over. And quite frankly, at the moment, we could win anywhere between 50 and 250 seats. Who knows?
0: If you're not uh, in the majority party, uh, what's going to happen?
1: Good question. Who knows? Um... It really depends on uh, the balance of power after the 12th of December. Uh, We've been absolutely clear that we would not go into... uh, If we don't become a majority Lib Dem government, then we're absolutely clear that we would not do a deal with a Johnson-led Conservative Party or a Corbyn-led Labour Party. Um, We think both men are figures of the past... They both support Brexit uh, and in different ways have been completely toxic and divisive in their own parties. Um, And we think the country deserves a better choice. So we as Liberal Democrats have set out a brighter future. We've set out bold, ambitious plans for the future. And I imagine that if there is a hung parliament, perhaps we're not wedded to this but perhaps we'll see if there are other parties that want to form a minority government and perhaps we'll support them on a case-by-case basis but as i say we rule out working with a johnson-led conservative party and a corbyn-led labor party and after that our priority is to stop brexit
0: so uh, some people might think it was somewhat undemocratic to try and force out the leader of a a major party if they held um, the largest number of seats but not an overall majority in order that you could work with someone how would you respond to that
1: Well, it's the way that our parliamentary democracy works, and I suspect that if Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn don't get a a majority government, I imagine that their own MPs will probably kick them out first.
0: Tell us why you think the Liberal Democrats and you are the right choice for the voters of St Albans.
1: Well... We have open liberal values here in St Albans. I believe that St Albans is fundamentally a open liberal city. Um, we are internationalists as Liberal Democrats. We're internationalists, we're, the, we're environmentalists, we are pro-business, we're pro-social justice. Um, and I think what's happened over the last few years is that as people, as people have felt increasingly politically homeless from the traditional parties that they might have voted for... They're finding that they share our values and that we share theirs. And so we are having people move over to us, uh, learn more about our policies and feel that they actually feel at home uh, with the Liberal Democrats. In addition to sharing our values, I think people do see in St Albans that we work incredibly hard for them in the community. You know, we recently became the largest party on the council. We now have a Liberal Democrat administration running the local district council. um, And St Albans wanted to vote for more Liberal Democrat uh, councillors because they can see how hard we work. And I hope that as a parliamentary candidate, people have seen in the last two or three years just how hard I have worked on a whole range of different projects uh, across the constituency.
0: Daisy Cooper, Liberal Democrat candidate for St Albans constituency, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Rebecca Lurie is the Labour Party candidate for St Albans. Rebecca was born in Harrow and went to school in Hertfordshire before studying history and politics at the University of Nottingham. She's the current Deputy Leader and Cabinet Member for Culture, Leisure, Equalities and Communities in the London Borough of Southwark, where she has been a local councillor since November 2012. Rebecca, welcome.
2: Thanks very much for having me, Nick. Rebecca, tell
0: us a bit about your connection to the local area.
2: Um, So so I don't currently live in St Albans, but if I was elected to be the MP, the first thing I would do would be to move here. I know that the current MP uh, doesn't live in the constituency, and I think it's really, really important actually that local representatives live in the area in which they represent. How better are you meant to understand the problems that your constituents are facing other than facing them and experiencing them yourself as well? Um, I stood here because uh, I, I was looking at seats where there needed to be a Labour MP and I, I looked at St Albans and thought actually the MP that you've got here at the moment is someone who isn't voting in the best interests of the people that live here and actually I think the Labour Party has a really compelling vision um, that would really benefit the people that do live here.
0: What about the local issues? What do you think really matters to people here and, and how would you like to address them if you became an MP?
2: So I think there are a whole host of local issues that also play out on uh, on a national scale that um, affect people um, in St Albans. The one um, that's been raised with me the most actually is around the issue of the local hospitals and the lack of investment, um, particularly uh, in, in all three hospital sites, um, kind of across the constituency and just outside. And I know that the government has offered some money, but not enough money to be able to build a new hospital, which they believe would solve the problem, Um, but equally not enough money for us even to be able to put that into the local hospitals to uh, be able to bring them up to the standard that they should. And it's something that the Labour Party is really committed to, is investing £26 billion by 23, 24, um, which would mean that we can actually bring our NHS services back up to a standard that means you can access... um, appointments without really long waiting times um, and we can have a brilliant service that we should be able to have in a fully funded NHS.
0: What about the hospitals here? So lots of different ideas, a new hospital centralising on Mm -hmm. Watford, uh, closing St Albans for example. How would you feel about uh, St Albans Hospital uh, being closed in order to invest in a, a new central hospital?
2: So I think where we stand currently, there isn't enough money for us to be able to build a new centralised hospital. And I don't think that that's going to to have the impact that the local community needs to be able to have a a fully functioning NHS service. I think uh, where we are at the moment, the money is probably best invested across the existing hospital sites to help bring them up to a standard that means that there are... uh, shorter waiting times um, and that people are able to access the services that they need. Obviously if there is a change of government and and we are able to have more of an investment in the NHS that might be the time to have a conversation about where best those services need to be but we also need to think about the fact that people don't want to have to travel a long way to be able to access their health services and there should be a real focus on prevention so that we're stopping people from ever needing to go to the hospital in the first place and there's much more care in the community and local support services that mean people can access healthcare where they need it.
0: So even though your proposal significant investment in the National Health Service, you're not really sure what you would go for here, whether you would go for um, a new hospital, investing in Watford, investing in all three?
2: Well, so the, so the local party, I think, has been quite clear about where where they want to be on this. Um, and I, I think that what we should be doing is investing across all three sites. I think there isn't, there isn't necessarily the case to say we should be having a centralised hospital that will solve the problem. At the moment, you've got three hospitals serving three different populations. And if there is the money that we can invest in those, then we can have a be- much better service that people can come to and access on their doorstep.
0: So apart from from health, what else would you like to see happening here?
2: Um, So I think there's a real issue around um, school cuts. So I know that uh, every single secondary school, in St Albans, and the majority of the primary schools have seen huge cuts in education since 2015. And, you know, we're looking at continued cuts of up to a million pounds across the constituency by 2020. And the Labour Party is obviously committed to completely reversing those school cuts, which will help ensure that there's uh, really good education across the whole of the constituency. One of the reasons I joined the Labour Party was that I was lucky enough to be able to go to a good secondary school and on to a good university. And, you know, that was under the Labour government, and I've seen the real things that investment in education does for people in this country and I think it's really important that we continue to invest in education going forward. So I'd want to make sure that we are continuing to invest in all of the schools um, across the constituency.
0: It's unlikely that an awful lot of new money will come into schools in St Albans. They're generally very well rated. It's going to go elsewhere, isn't it? Uh,
2: no, I don't I don't think that's true. I think you know the, the risk is that if you have very good schools and you start not investing in them, they uh, quickly become not good schools. And I think what's really important is that we continue to invest in our good schools to help them maintain that status, as well as focusing on those areas where there needs to be more investment. You know, education is a thing that the local... The Labour Party and people like Angela Rayner talk about kind of very strongly as as the kind of the, the area where we can make the most difference. And I think I think that's completely true. I think it's if you invest early enough in people's lives, you're setting them up for a great start in life and education and things like free childcare and guaranteeing those 30 hours of free childcare for two to four year olds is so important in being able to give people the best opportunity to then be able to to move on in their lives as well.
0: Okay, now you've talked a lot about investing in things and um, your party certainly has made some significant uh, investment promises. Um, uh, For example, bringing uh, a lot of things under government ownership like Mm -hmm. water, rail and broadband, for example. Why would those things be better run by politicians? They haven't exactly shown their ability to manage in the last year, have they?
2: Uh, Well, I'm not sure that we can say that the uh, Thameslink line is something that is especially well managed at the moment, um, nor accessing uh, the internet for the vast majority of people across the whole of this country. Um, uh, In fact, even last night, my internet went down, uh, and I struggled to be able to... uh, To do any of the things that I needed to do, and you know, internet is very much the the internet is very much a thing that is becoming, you know, a a universal basic service that people need to be able to access to run their businesses, to be able to stay in touch with people, to be able to live their daily lives. I think it's a brilliant idea that we're saying that there should be a minimum level of acceptable broadband that we have across the whole of this country, so people don't feel alienated and and you know, can help grow the economy.
0: Your party's also said that that broadband will be free.
2: Yes, they have.
0: Why should it be? Why not free water, free electricity, free railfares? Perhaps a £3 million homeowner can have free broadband. Why? Why? Um, I,
2: I think it's all about universal services. The same is true of the NHS, the same is true of the minimum wage. Um, but it's
0: not true of water or electricity. You're not proposing to make electricity free, are you?
2: We are not, but you uh, are unlikely to ever get your electricity cut off. So there is a minimum standard, which means that you are able to access those services. You uh, You will always, you know, There is a basic standard for it water uh, access to water um it, at the same time i think the internet is so important to our daily lives that actually there should be a minimum standard that means that that is what is an acceptable level of service that we should be providing to our residents i'm sure in 10 15 20 years time we'll have moved on to you know 6 7 8 9 g and actually at that point people will i'm sure pay more to have an even better service but at least we've set a minimum level which is the acceptable level for people uh, to be able to live
0: Okay, and uh, all of this investment obviously has to be paid for. It, how's, does it how's it going
2: to be paid for? Well, obviously, in the case of the broadband tax, that will be uh, funded through a tax on uh, the the kind of big big organisations like the Facebooks, Googles, and Amazons of the world. But equally, we're looking at increasing tax, and ninety five percent of the country won't. Uh, face tax rises. It's, it's those earning kind of 80000 and up. And even if you earn £80,000, you're looking at £600 pounds more a year. That's not a very significant contribution, but it will make a huge difference to the overall amount of money that we're able to spend in this country.
0: How can we be sure that you're going to spend that money wisely?
2: Well, I think that uh, there is always the opportunity for more elections and more opportunities for people to come back and to vote us back out of power, if we were lucky enough to get in this time, if they don't think that we're doing a good job. But I think people will soon be able to see that it's making a difference to their daily lives, that they have an NHS that's functioning, that they have brilliant schools on their doorsteps, that we're taking uh, real action against climate change um, and you know that they're able to access the services that they need because of a Labour government.
0: Is it fair to say, let's move on to a subject that that I'm sure you've heard a lot on the doorstep, is it fair to say that really the Labour Party over the last six, nine months has been all over the place on Brexit?
2: I think Brexit has been a really, you know, it is the defining issue um, at the moment. And I think it's been really hard for the Labour Party to bring together such different views um, and to say, actually, what's in the best interest of the country? And I think where we've got to now is a really brilliant way of bringing together the country and reuniting them. You know, on the one hand, you've got the Conservative Party, who just want to take us out of the EU with a bad deal. On the other side, you've got the Lib Dems saying, well, we'll just revoke Article 50 and we'll pretend that, that none of this ever happened. I think the Labour Party are very much the party that's saying this is about democracy and this is about letting people have their say. Yes, we will go and we will renegotiate a deal and get the best deal that we can. But we will also then give you the option to remain in the EU if that's what what you want. Um, And it's a fully democratic process that will be put back out as a final vote to the people.
0: Why why are you handing this decision back to the, the people again? They they gave their decision in the referendum 2016. Why, why are you doing this again?
2: So, yes, the the public did uh, give an indication of uh, what they wanted to happen. But actually, at that time, there was no idea of what the withdrawal agreement would look like and, and what a world outside of the EU for the UK would look like. Um, and actually, I think that we are now in a position to understand better what we are able to negotiate and where we will be able to uh, see ourselves uh, in alignment with Europe in the future and that's the right time to go back out to the people and say this is the deal that that's actually on the table is this what you want or do you want the alternative to remain within the eu
0: and where do you personally stand um would you prefer to see a negotiated remain or would you prefer to see us abide by the results of the referendum in 2016
2: so i voted to remain uh, in the general election in 2016 i've been out on the people's vote marches um in london and it's something that i feel um is is very important that we stay as closely aligned to the EU as possible, if not remaining within it. But I also recognise that there's a huge need to reform the EU. And, you know, it's it's what started the, the calls for a referendum in the first place, was that actually we need to think and constantly review our relationship, uh, you know, with the EU. And does that and include
0: think- freedom of movement? Do you Do you agree that there should be changes to freedom of movement, regardless of whether we're in or out?
2: Uh, I think we need to constantly review what we're doing and making sure that we're working in the best interests of the people that that live here. You know it doesn't necessarily mean that freedom of movement at the moment isn't working for us. There are a huge number of UK citizens that benefit from freedom of movement into the EU. But we need to make sure that that relationship is working well for everybody involved.
0: So if it isn't, you would say you need the you need the scope to, limit freedom of movement? Is
2: Not necessarily to limit it. It might be that we want to increase it. it yes, but you might so. want to limit
0: it as well. I mean, you, you want the freedom to do what, whatever you want to do with freedom of movement.
2: I think we need to have the freedom to be able to reconsider what freedom of movement looks like and what works in the best interests of, of, of the UK residents.
0: What would you say to people who think the Labour Party is in the control of a small number of members who support anti-Semitic behaviour and Marxist ideologies? That's all been going around in the press. What would you say to a voter who's concerned about that?
2: Um, I would say that I think the Labour Party has gone nowhere near far enough to tackle the problem of anti-Semitism in the party. Why is that?
0: Why is that? You're part of the Labour Party. Why why is that the case?
2: Uh, I am part of the Labour Party. Uh, I'm proudly part of the Labour Party, but um, I myself have tried to experience the complaints process of the Labour Party. And I think that there is a lot more that needs to be done. Um, to improve that system so that complaints are taken seriously and so that but complaints doesn't that come down dealt to
0: with. doesn't that come down to leadership i mean the leader the leaders of your party could change all of that but they absolutely haven't
2: uh there have been some efforts but as i said at the, at the beginning i don't think that we have done anywhere near enough to tackle those problems um and i think we should be taking a much more robust approach to uh to forcing members out of the party who hold those views and having a no-tolerance approach to letting them back in or being affiliated in any way with the Labour Party going forwards.
0: And what about the idea that, that, that the Labour Party is now controlled by a small number of people who who follow kind of ideologies of of Karl Marx.
2: So I I don't think that's true I think the the Labour Party is a very broad church but uh, equally it's also got a huge membership and a a huge amount of people who help to make those decisions. You know we're the party that that goes to our conference every year and it's the members who vote for what our policy should be on the on the floor of conference and therefore we can't say that everything is controlled by a very small group of individuals it's those members who are out on the doorsteps day in day out regardless of whether there is an election who are really making the difference
0: okay and and in terms of calling this general election it seemed like for ages the Labour Party was actually against having one then when the SNP and Lib Dems decided they were in favour of having one suddenly the Labour Party was in favour is that really showing leadership
2: Uh, I I think that's not necessarily uh, quite what was going on. We wanted to make sure that no deal was off the table. You know, We all know that we can't trust Boris Johnson as our Prime Minister and what we were most scared of happening was that we would enter uh, into a general election and he would set the date for after the 31st of October, leaving us to crash out of the EU without a deal and then calling an election uh, rather than letting us have a say now beforehand um, and being able to have a serious conversation about what that future relationship with Europe should look like.
0: If you're meeting people on the doorstep and um, they, they ask you why, why they should trust you and the Labour Party, what do you say?
2: Mm. Um, so I think the, the Labour Party has proven time and time again that we are the party that stands up for people. We want to give people an, an opportunity. Um, so I've been elected, as, as you said at the beginning of your comments, uh, for seven years. And I've seen the real difference that it makes having the Labour Party in power to local people. Um, and you know, I have.
0: But this is a very different Labour Party than the one that was last in power under Tony Blair or Gordon Brown. It's totally different, isn't it?
2: I think you could probably say that about uh, this Conservative Party yes, compared you, to some uh, previous pro- ones. Probably as well. you probably
0: um, you could, but I don't think you can draw the parallel between a potential Labour government that's going to be elected now mm-hmm. and a previous one and say that that's a good reason, can you?
2: No, and and that's that's not really what I'm doing because I'm I'm elected now for the Labour Party, so I am very much part of the Labour Party in its in its current form. Um, but I think that we've come up with. and and I you know what's been trailed so far in the manifesto looks really exciting and I'm I'm really hopeful that we're putting out a message about real change Um, and and this is an opportunity for people to to have a proper end to austerity to have investment back into this country and to make a real difference to people's lives.
0: Okay so tell us just in conclusion Mm. why are you the right choice for the people of St Albans and the Labour Party is the right choice for them too?
2: So I think that St Albans deserves a Labour MP who's going to stand up for your views and represent you in Westminster. I don't think that that's what you currently have and I think that there is much more that can be done. The Labour Party wants to put money back into hospitals, it wants to put money back into schools, it wants to seriously challenge the the housing crisis that we have in this country. We we, uh, have a a Green New Deal that we want to put on the table to help uh, with the climate crisis. Um, and we want to make this country uh, somewhere that that people can thrive. Um, I've got the experience of having been elected for uh, seven years, yes, down in London, but I will happily bring that experience up here and help to represent the views of the people in St Albans.
0: Rebecca, thank you very much. Thank you. Joining us now is the Conservative candidate for St Albans constituency, Anne Main. Anne was first elected to Parliament in 2005 and re-elected at the 2010 general election with an increased majority. Anne has served on three cross-party select committees, chairs four cross-party groups including the APPG for the Prevention of Plastic Waste and chairs committees of the House as a member of the Speaker's Panel. Born in 1957 in Cardiff, Anne graduated with an honours degree in English from Swansea University. After gaining a postgraduate certificate in education, Anne moved into the London area where she taught English and drama at an Inner London Comprehensive. In 1978, Anne and Stephen married and three children followed. Stephen sadly died of cancer aged 34. In 1995, Anne married Andrew, an IT director, and she has since had a fourth child, a son named Alexander. Anne Main, welcome. Morning. Uh, so tell us a bit about the constituency and your connection to the area.
3: Uh, the constituency goes from Junction 20, which some people don't realise, all the way up to Junction 22. So I encompass villages as much as the city of centre itself. And there's a broad range of issues that affect St Albans particularly what's affecting St Albans is business rates, and I'm pleased that Andrew Leadsom announced something on that this week. But uh, also the ability to get on the housing ladder. We are the 20, in the top 20 most expensive cities to live in, and you need 13 times the national wage to be able to afford a mortgage here. So it's really unaffordable for young people. So we do need to develop more housing and we need to develop them in a sustainable and sympathetic manner. So people getting on the housing ladder is becoming increasingly pressing. It is no good just having a city made up of people who have. Have very expensive well paid jobs in London if we can't get young people and blue collar workers living here so in areas that are struggling to um, find homes i think we've got to look sustainably at, at sites such as the uh, radlett rail freight site as the proposition goes that would be a dreadful site. That's a campaign I've been running since 2008 and I do think it's time that this planning application was rescinded. It's a huge site that will be blighted by traffic um, coming in and out on the roads. There's no motorway access. Residents will be unfortunately seeing a 24-7 operation going there, which will mean that there'll be interference to uh, the train pathing services and to indeed potentially our commuters. Schools are a big issue in St Albans. The reason many people come out from London to live here is we have great schools, but they have been struggling with money. And um, I uh, bought in with the fairer funding campaign to the need for more funding for our schools. And I regularly meet with the head teachers, and I'm pleased to say that not only has there been an uplift in schools nationally, but St Albans will be having some of the bigger uplifts in their um, in their funding, which is great.
0: Why is it that your government hasn't funded St Albans schools enough?
3: It's not a case of not funding St Albans schools enough. There is actually a Barnett funding formula which makes it, if you are in a high value property area and you have relatively good health outcomes overall, these are the way that funding formulas are calculated. And it does mean, therefore, in areas like St Albans where people are, not everyone, I accept it's not everyone, are relatively affluent with high house prices and good good education qualifications that quite often we do very badly. Now that masks the fact that in areas um, of St Albans we have multiple indices of deprivation so in Fleetville which is just down the road from this studio we have areas where there have been real struggles for certain communities to get access to services so, so I am pleased that that funding formula has been addressed. So that has been th- making the difference Okay
0: so the formula has been addressed yeah. now but it took a long time. Why did it take so long?
3: Uh, well I've To be quite frank, it's something that we've all been talking about from governments, you know, for the last 20, 30 years. It's hard to get the funding right because there's always going to be winners and losers. So some people would be arguing in other areas now that somewhere like nice leafy St Albans, as they see it, with good house prices, shouldn't be having an above-average increase, whereas I know for an absolute fact... That retention of, of staff here in schools is very difficult, that people pay uh, have to pay good wages to stop all their staff um, going off down to London and getting the London waiting. It is very, very difficult in St Albans to make the formula work when there's such pressure on our schools for people wanting to use them. So it, there's winners and losers, I can tell you now. There are other places in the country not happy that St Albans has had that uplift but it very much was needed.
0: So why are there losers? Why not just put more money into education? It's the future of our young people. Why is the government Government not putting more money into education so that there aren't losers.
3: Well, the government is putting a massive amount more money in, in education. But there are still that. losers right um, this well, Losers in the new formula. So there still will be a minimum of £5,000 at secondary school level and 3700 at primary school level. But I say losers, the losers being that the formula favoured some areas more than others. And unfortunately for St Albans, we always seem to be losing out in that formula. So they will be regarding St Albans as having had a particularly beneficial uplift. But I have been arguing for it because as the fair funding campaign came through St Albans, and indeed many teachers were arguing The the model that we had was not sustainable and was disadvantaging areas like St Albans.
0: So what about the National Health Service? Um, uh, could I just finish, yeah. though?
3: I mean, we do seem to have moved off the local issues. We've gone on to national ones. And the well, local I'm just issues, trying to come on um, to the National yeah. Health Service and we the local cer- issues there. We certainly there. will come on to the National Health Service because I'm pleased to say St Albans City and District Hospital is going to have a massive uplift. But don't forget we have, in my villages, areas like um, Smallford that are very, very concerned about the bromate plume, which is work I've been doing, and as I say Park Street, the rail freight. And we also have businesses very concerned about the loss of office space because it's always worth turning properties into homes so there are many issues in St Albans and I don't think we can look at just one thing the health service is a good story to tell we had Matt Hancock here the other week St Albans is really going to be benefiting from additional funding and I'm really pleased to say that that's something we've been working on for quite some time
0: most of your constituents if they dial 999 and are taken to accident and emergency they will go to Watford General Hospital where accident and emergency is rated as needing improvement how do you feel about that?
3: All of my constituents who need to go to um, uh, an acute services hospital will go to Watford, as I'm sure you will know, um, because the a services are at Watford. They do need improvement. And indeed, there's going to be a massive 400 million pound uplift in improvement there. And Matt Hancock was visiting them the other day um, to sort of see what was going to be done. It is difficult because the model we have for hospitals now means that we cannot have acute services dotted all around in small facilities. They are going to be in the much bigger facilities and they have got to serve several hundred thousand people, not just a local area. So there will have to be one big hub hospital and All of the modelling, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with the way the modelling is because people in St Albans would like the A&E to be here. What I'm saying is the modelling that has been done by West Harts Hospital Trust and indeed the consultants wish to have the A&E facility still at Watford. And if that's the decision that's being taken, I do not wish to have the bid process interrupted and therefore we will lose that funding uplift that will transform St Albans Hospital and transform Watford Hospital.
0: And you're not in favour of a new hospital for the area, which has been talked about a number of occasions but never funded, you're not in favour of that?
3: And um, That's not the way to put it. I'm not in favour of it. I have to look and have been involved in every single... So consult- you are in favour of it, Can I finish you? this okay. point? I'm not saying I'm not in favour. If someone wants to give me a brand new hospital, I'd love it. But the reality is every single consultation and remodelling that's been looked at, that they say the funding does not stack up. Now, a bid process had to go in, and the bid process has gone in for a refurbishment and the uplift of the hospitals. If we were to be looking at a new model we're going to be kicking the can down the road several years the hospital at the moment is not ideal but will be hopefully state of the art when it's been refurbished if we were to have a new hospital the whole consultation process would take years this when i first got elected in 2005 a new hospital was being Uh, promised for Hatfield it didn't happen this new hospital model simply hasn't got the funding associated with it to deliver it therefore the second best option potentially as I see it is to ensure we have as top grade um, facilities at the current hospitals that we have
0: an awful lot of the discussions we seem to have around politics are about funding and the money that's available. Um, it seems like there's a lot more money available all of a sudden now we're having a general election. A hundred billion extra public spending uh, promised by Sajid Javid. The Labour Party is promising a bit more. And um, where, where's this money coming from?
3: Well, for those of us who've um, been elected for quite some time, um, we will remember that the Labour Party and, and indeed their ministers, when they left office in 2010, left a note saying all the money's gone, and that is an absolute fact. The reality is, is this this government um, under David Cameron and indeed under Theresa May and now Boris Johnson has been paying down and increase uh, paying down some of the debt that we've had and increasing the productivity of our country. 1,000 new jobs have been delivered every day since. 2010. More people in work, more people contributing and therefore this This fiscal prudence that has gone on means that now we have a time to start putting money where it is needed. No one's disputing it's needed. But unfortunately, when the economy is broke and someone has spent all the money, there is absolutely no way that investment could have come forward. Now we're looking forward, hopefully, to being able to ease off on the austerity and actually look forward to investment. And I'm pleased that that has been delivered as a result of Conservative government.
0: So you'd agree with the Labour Party that, that we can borrow money and we can invest more?
3: I don't agree with much that the Labour Party has to say, frankly. Any party that wishes to be nationalising half of our industries, including BT, shows to me that they haven't left the old model which has run our country into the ground, particularly in the 70s, like when I was a young person. I have to say there's very little I agree with the Labour Party on. What I think we do all agree is we need top-class services, including top-class hospitals, top-class schools. And I think the only way to do that is by having someone who can actually manage the economy and deliver jobs and prosperity across the country.
0: And you're planning to reduce taxes, so the money is not coming from tax, is that right?
3: Uh, The models always show actually that if the tax burden is gauged to be just right rather than punitive, actually what happens is more money comes in. So the taxes that are being done, and I'm sure you will realise if you've looked at this, is actually now we've lifted people out of paying income tax. It took a Conservative government to actually mean that people earning a modest £12,500 didn't actually have to pay tax. Um, The taxes now are going to be directed in such a way to promote business, promote and stimulate the high street, and ensure that we keep a model where people are paying their fair amount of taxes without actually um, ruining the cash cow that's generated uh, affluence for this country.
0: Let's come on to the environment and the climate emergency. The local council's declared a climate emergency. Do you agree there is one?
3: I think certainly is. And I think one of the emergencies is is that we all of us have got addicted to living in a very unsustainable manner. Um, And we are going to have to make some tough choices. I chair the all-party parliamentary group for the prevention of plastic waste. And I also chair the all-party parliamentary group for sustainable textiles. Every time we wash our clothes, small amounts of plastic are going into the environment, are going into our watercourses, are indeed even going into our soil and we are ingesting large amounts of plastic. We are having to think about what we do. Now, I've been working with local companies, including looking at Tesco's and behind the scenes, seeing what what products can be brought into play and how much packaging can be reduced. But when we look at where plastic is, we have plastic carpets, we have plastic clothing by um, having fleece clothing and and anything with the word poly in it is particularly bad. And as a result, we've all got addicted to plastic in a way that has just been an explosion. So we're going to have to look at lifestyle choices and we're going to have to look at the way we are prepared to make sacrifices to ensure that we have got um, control over trying to bring back a balance to our environment.
0: Isn't it really true, though, that we have to go further than that? Um, plastics is, is one issue, but in fact, don't we have to stop being such a consumerist society if we're actually going to stop consuming the Earth's resources at an unsustainable rate? Isn't
3: that the case? I think you're absolutely right and um, all of us will be going probably into an absolute orgy of buying things for Christmas and we do have to think about the amount of clothes that end up in landfill as a result of uh, one use wearing um, or, or things that are shoddily made or don't last very long, the amount of food waste that we've got also going into landfill a lot of it. We have air quality management areas in St Albans. There are nine in Hertfordshire and three in St Albans, one being the Pehen Junction. We have over-abstraction of our rivers. Um, There are a huge number of things that we can look at. And we've got to start making lifestyle choices and lifestyle changes. So, for example, the expansion that is supposed to be for Luton Airport, up to 33 million passengers, all of which will be um, polluting the atmosphere by having noisier planes going over us. But more importantly, planes are also doing something called tankering. Tankering is where they overfill the capacity on the fuel tanks to ensure that they get the cheapest deal on buying fuel. But a heavier, noisy plane is the result. We have got to look at a myriad of things... And I'm sure that uh, we will, all of us, have to have some serious discussions about how often we fly, how much we use our car, how many clothes we buy, how much uh, we choose to have as packaging and wrapping around the things that we do. And they're not going to be easy choices. And I think the fact that everybody is buying into this now... Is, is a real step forward.
0: Yes, why is it that the government, uh, the government that's been in place for some time hasn't shown leadership on this subject? Why, why is it that now we suddenly have realised that, 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 that this is happening? Why did it take people sitting in the streets? Surely the government understood what was going on here. Why, why wasn't it doing something about it?
3: Um, I would disagree it's taken people st- uh, sitting in the streets. Well, the what, government-
0: what has it taken? Because because it, um, and- Well,
3: I was just about to explain okay. to you. It hasn't just taken people sitting in the streets. In fact, sitting in the streets and causing businesses to grind to a halt is not the way to tackle it. What it has taken is is that we are working now to stop having microbeads, which was banned under this government. That is the tiny filaments of plastic that end up in our watercourses, polluting our shellfish and so on. What it has taken is that this government has various green initiatives to do with stopping things like, for example, the Ivory has now got a ban under here to making sure that we are now moving over to greener technology in terms of our cars and in terms of our businesses being more um, efficient and our houses being built in a more efficient manner. It is never going to be easy and we learn so much more every day. And I just don't think saying a few people sitting in the street has driven the change. I think if you look at the policies that have been brought forward, this government has been one of the greenest governments out and is looking to do so much more by incentivising us to be able to have a greener and cleaner economy.
0: When you're out on the doorsteps, I mean, a big issue in this area, obviously, has been Brexit and across the country. When you're out on the doorsteps and talking to someone, the majority of your constituents, by quite some margin, who voted to remain, how do you explain your position on the European Union?
3: I explain my position by saying I'm a huge respecter of democracy. Uh, When we were, uh, all of us, looking to make our choice about whether we leave or remain, I indeed was standing in the centre of St Albans with Conservatives for Remain and Conservatives for Leave. I happened to vote Leave, and I was one of uh, 17.4 million people who did, and I respect the fact that other people didn't. But we were given a binary once-in-a-lifetime choice. And for many people, uh, the fact that this has now been turned into a political football, where you now have to... Uh, pick a particular party as being one of leave or remain and you are seeking to overturn revoke deny cancel a vote where the biggest participatory um uh, vote was ever happened i think is is really worrying for the future of our democracy we gave the public a choice And the government must deliver on that choice in the best way possible with a deal. And I believe the only way to do that is with a Conservative government. I know people take it as an issue in St Albans that I declared how I voted. But what I do declare is the fact that not one party, not one party, said that they would cancel the vote. That is not democratic, and indeed, the country where other parts voted huge amounts to leave will will find it absolutely outrageous that we do not deliver when we uh, on on the decision. I not once before um, we had the vote was ever campaigning one way or another. But given the choice, I made my choice clear, and I told people how I voted. I think now to say that people are going to change. their their stance and revoke when nobody ever said that. Not once did I hear that in a political campaign. I think it's really damaging for democracy. So I support democracy. And if the vote had gone the other way, I would have respected that vote and gone back to the position I had, which was having my particular views, but I didn't do anything about them. Now we have turmoil being caused by people who wish to suddenly decide to overturn what 33 million people were encouraged to do. Why bother coming out to vote if people actually then turn around and tell you, do you know what, we're just going to cancel it?
0: When's it more important to pursue what you think is right and what the country as a whole marginally thinks is right, uh, rather than your own constituents' wishes? That's not what you always do, is it? When does that happen?
3: I think... Um probably you know, I, I don't wish to sound as if I'm being disrespectful by saying, by saying it was a countrywide vote. At no point were anyone ever asked to support what their constituency um, decided and say, well, that is the way from now on you will vote. But if that had been the case... If that had been the case, then overwhelmingly, the number of members of Parliament who would have been obliged to vote to leave would have been significantly increased, instead of what we had was the number of members of Parliament who were actually trying to bring about Remain. So we had a mismatch between what MPs themselves wished to do and what their constituency added up to. So I have always put St Albans first, but this was a national decision, and my honour to commit to giving, uh, you know, the result that this national decision made is, I believe, paramount. If the decision had been to remain, I would have not have agitated to try and have a different result. I would have supported that, and I just feel that we need to look very closely at ourselves. People are trying to uh, manipulate voters' thinking that they can have just a cancellation of this. If another government is elected and if another government decides to go forward with some sort of alternative, it will probably be a Labour government and it will be a Labour government that then will go back and renegotiate a deal, a deal that they have no intention of carrying out, a deal that they will then put the British people with Remain as an option. For those people that were only ever asked for Remain or to leave, suddenly we have a very, very. uh, unsatisfactory leave option and remain option. And I think that that is not fair or right when you have not honoured the first referendum. So it's going to be a difficult time. I sincerely hope that all of us look to our consciences and say, democracy-wise, we need to deliver. If we don't, what, what price is it worth having anything put through your letterbox in this election if you can't believe it?
0: And just very briefly, I'd just like to give you the chance to uh, tell us why you think you and the Conservatives are the right choice for the electors of St Albans.
3: I would hope that my track record of nearly 14 and a half years now will show that I do give St Albans a very strong voice, both on schools, on funding, on, on housing, on local issues. And I've helped thousands of residents. I don't pay the party system in terms of knocking my opponents, although I do scrutinise policy very, very heavily. And I think that a Conservative government offers the security of knowing that we will be leaving with a deal, It offers security to businesses to know that the economy will be managed and it offers the investments into schools and hospitals that we need. And I believe I'd like to carry on doing the job that I've been doing and my record speaks for itself that I've worked very hard on behalf of St Albans and if I'm honoured again to be their MP, I will serve them just as hard again.
0: Anne Mayne, Conservative candidate for the St Albans constituency, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Also standing in the St Albans constituency are... Simon Jonathan Grover, the Green Party, and Jules Anthony Sherrington.